MetaView podcast. Hear these non-fungible conversations. They will yield you great knowledge and perspective. But beware, they might also make your brain go boom. So watch your step, because this rabbit hole goes deep. Good luck and have fun. Welcome, welcome to the MetaView podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So your your name became a bit of a meme inside the MetaGame community with all the, the trouble that we had uh, with uh, booking you for the, the MetaFest. But uh, yeah, would you be down to do a brief intro to yourself for the people who don't know you? Yeah, so... There's a there's a lot of different angles on me, and and MetaView is pretty a, a pretty good place to start. Even just like unpacking what I think when I hear that phrase, I've been orienting for many years to the puzzle of how to bring different viewpoints into contact. Um, whether those are different views inside yourself, like different priorities that you have, and how to prioritize between them, how to choose what you really want to do. Or whether those are like, you know, different paradigms of like ways of seeing the world. Yeah, and so that has that has led me to a lot of different things. I've been working on a, an app that helps people stay focused on what's meaningful to them, which uh, used to be called Complice and is now called Intend. And you can go to intend.do um, to check that out. And, and that's, you know, we can talk a lot more about how that app works and then in some ways, like that app is a, a meaningful part of my life, but it's it's not the sort of the center of my vocation or calling um, either, which is more around stuff around how do we create collaborative cultures and learn how to really effectively play win-win games with each other with kind of the basic premise being that if we get good enough at playing win-win games, we don't want to play any games that have losing involved. And I don't mean things like, you know, chess and soccer, but like, we don't, you know, we don't want to play um, zero sum games on the biggest scales of our lives because they don't make as much awesomeness for everybody. And so I see a sense in which everybody wants to play win-win games if they knew how, but because they don't know how, they end up selfishly focused on their own winning at the expense of others. I'm pretty mistake theory about this. I see this as like, basically like if people knew how to play better games, they would. So it's mostly a, a matter of figuring out how to show people how to do that. Makes sense. Thank you. And now it occurred to me also that, uh, so you might be a good fit for another thing that uh, I'm sort of involved with, but not really. Are you familiar with uh, Hansi Freinacht and like metamodernism? And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. So do you know about the, the new project that he started called ARC, A-R-C? No, I don't know about ARC. Yeah, so it's an arch, arch disciplinary research center. So it's basically about, uh, yeah, like uh, bringing together all the different worldviews and uh, coming up with a meta theory. What was the first word there? ARC, arch disciplinary research center Archdisciplinary, interesting yes that sounds like it's right up your alley yeah but we can get into that after the call if you're interested and then yes yeah, so like uh, what uh, have you got into starting complice and uh, 
what what motivated you and how you got started? Yeah, so I mean, there was kind of a few things. Like, I wanted to have a business by the time I graduated university, so that I didn't have to get a job, and I could instead focus on both what was most meaningful to me and what I felt sort of the world most needed, without having to convince somebody else that that was important or kind of get funding from them. And so that was kind of one thread of motivation that led in. And then as to why I started this business in particular and not some other one, I'd had a really powerful experience the year before of doing some goal setting with a, uh, this paper workbook where I I chose a few goals and I didn't achieve all of them, but I did manage to record and release an album back in 2012. And that was this powerful experience of like, whoa, I can just decide to do stuff and like make a whole project out of it and make it happen. Like that's pretty profound. And I think a lot of people go through their life as kind of like, like they realize it's a choose your own adventure book. You know, I mean, some people are a hundred percent on autopilot, but most people sort of realize, okay, this is a choose your own adventure book. And they like, they go, okay, uh, yeah, I guess which, you know, which college do I want to go to? And, you know, and it's like, they pick one, but the options are in a choose your own adventure book are sort of written there already. It's like to go to, you know, the university your dad went to turned to page 48 and people don't realize like you can actually just write your own story like you can just be like um actually what I want is this thing that nobody's ever done before but it's a mashup of you know things people have done before so um so that was a really profound experience for me that I wanted to share with other people like the experience of just deciding to do something and then doing it making it happen and that's in some sense like where intend started as Compless, it was very much about goal setting. Like that was kind of the main emphasis. And that's still very much at the center. Like, un, you know, it, it looks like a to-do list app, but unlike most to-do list apps where you start by dumping a bunch of things in that you're not ever actually going to do, but you'd like to pretend to yourself that you're going to do. And they're like a bunch of random little things. With Intend, you start by listing out like, what are my long-term goals? Like, what do I actually care about? Where am I trying to move in the world with my life and, and get to? And then the things that you choose to work on each day are based on the long-term goal. So it's not a matter of, you know, just wrangling all these little tasks. It's like you're choosing fresh each day. What do I want to do given that I care about this long-term stuff? And so I, I frame this a lot in terms of intentionality, uh, which I see as a different way of thinking about what people are trying to get out of apps like this compared to something like productivity, which is sort of like, it's sort of just a measure of output but not like matteringness. Right, that makes complete sense. Yeah, I love that it starts with like the the bigger picture of like what you want to do with your life rather than just rather than just yeah, just list all the things that you need to do in the near future. Yeah. It's a lot more motivating as well. And uh, how has that been going so far? So we've been doing it for uh, many years. I know that like at least 5 years, but probably more. Yeah, uh, almost 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. And so that's been the main way that I've made my living since then from the from the app and from the workshops that we've run a few, couple times a year the last six years or so. Got it. That's awesome. And how long did it take you to get to that point where you can actually uh, live off of it? It was about two years to get to the point where I could live off it at all. But I was living extremely frugally at that time. And, and so then it, I grew it a bit more over the next probably two years to the point where I was able to live, you know, comfortably, not, I'm not wealthy, but, uh, or I'm not like, yeah, rich, but um, yeah. And now I'm in a process of growing it even further because while it totally has made enough money for me to live, it, uh, I want to have a family and, you know, I need more money to pay for food for kids and diapers and whatever that's going to, you know, entail, <laughs> right. larger, larger home, et cetera. 
but so it's pretty much built by just you like there's no no team yeah i've had other people helping with different different aspects of it at different points but it's always it's always in some sense been a one person company sometimes with somebody else kind of as my main thinking partner and working on some main projects with me yeah and uh yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that changes over the next like year or two as I scale up the number of customers, because of course software, you don't inherently need more staff to have the business be 10 times as big, which is of course not true of like a store or a restaurant or something, but there may be a need for other people to help out with different parts of things, or there, you know, it may just be nice to offload some of the the work. Right. That makes sense. And it's been uh, fully bootstrapped, right? You never raised any money for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I got one or two little like government grants and stuff. But yeah, it's very much not not investment based. And and that's been really nice because it's let me move at my own pace and not be in any rush to get anywhere, which has been helpful as it's let me pay more attention to my uh, to all the other stuff that I'm interested in around, you know, consciousness and culture and that kind of stuff. Right. Your own goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have I have I have a lot. <laughs> And, uh, do you use uh, Intend yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been, it's definitely, you know, it's it's important that like from the very beginning I had customers. Like I had customers before I'd written any code or even come up with a name for the thing uh, that were just like friends of mine that I said, hey, I want to help you with your goals. You know, will you, you know, pay me some, some dollars through PayPal to join my sort of cohort of something I'm going to turn into a business? So it's like, it's helped that I've had customers since the beginning, but I've also definitely been one of the main people that I've been developing the app for is just like, what do I want this to have? Like, oh, you know, and a couple of years ago, around the time you and I first started talking, I realized like, you know, Intend is all about uh, uh, freshness rather than staleness, like not having your list go stale. And I realized that while the Today page is great for that, because, you know, you get to choose afresh each day what you want to work on, it can still end up feeling kind of stale when you get, you know, your mid-afternoon and you thought you'd do a bunch of things today, but then the morning went totally different than you thought. And now, like, it's not realistic to get to that big project. And then you're like, okay, should I do at least a little bit of the big project or should I just take care of some of these other things? And you, so you sort of get to the middle of the day and even your list that you made you know, six hours ago is already stale. And uh, so I made the now page, which is literally you just put in, this is what I'm working on now. And then there's a button to say, I did it. There's a button to say, um, I'm not going to do it right now. There's a button to say, I'm actually not going to do this today at all. And so it's like, I, I built that in large part for myself. Like I just really wanted that. But, you know, now it's available to the other people using the app. So yeah, very much bootstrapped. I actually just hit a four year streak of having my what I did that day filled in for every day in those four years. Nice. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And I think it's worth naming that I don't, uh, the, the the way the streaks feature works is designed to be like anti-panic inducing. Like it's, you know, you don't have to check in by midnight, otherwise you lose your streak. It's, um, you can actually keep your streak alive by going back and filling in what you did on days that you weren't even online. Like, you know, actually some of the very first few days of that, the, the four year streak that I currently have, I was at a week long retreat where I like didn't, I didn't even, I don't think I had my computer with me and, uh, and I wasn't online and, but I, you know, I, I used my journal entries and stuff to reconstruct like what, what had I been doing each day? And I, you know, put those into the, into the app. So it's kind of encouraging you to not worry about 
having every day be perfect or anything like that, but instead to have a kind of an ongoing practice of attending to the question of like, what am I doing? How, how is what I'm doing contributing to my long-term goals or vision or whatever it is that I care about? That makes sense. Yeah, the, another app that I'm currently using for like check-ins uh, inside Metagame has that exact like enforcing rule where like you have to check in by this specific time or that day is like not completed. And I had multiple times like I actually did the thing, but I just didn't uh, report on time or I didn't finish writing the report or whatever. And then yeah, I ended up uh, failing and losing the streak and even losing money actually, because in this specific app, you stake, uh, you stake money on your goals. I think it's a cool mechanism, but yeah, the issue is that uh, you have to report like, and sometimes I fail even when I actually do it, I just don't report on time. Totally. Yeah. And, and I, I went and built a, a, a stake feature into, into my app as well. And part of what's interesting about it is like, there's this app Beeminder, which is about, you know, regular recurring, making progress on numerical stuff. And the stakes thing that I have is sort of exactly the opposite. It's like, it's specifically for one-off stuff where you just, you really want to commit today. You're like, no, today is the day that this happens. I'm going to put money on it. But I've tried to be really clear with people in the writing that it's like, you are putting money on the line, not just for doing the thing, but for telling us you've done the thing. Like, we we can't, we can't be like fussed about the difference between those. Like, you got to show up and tell us that's what you're committing to do. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, that sort of thing can be really powerful. You do have to be careful with it, but it, it is it is really powerful. I've used it a lot in my life. So what, uh, yeah, any other ways that uh, intent is different from like usual habit tracking or like uh, to-do apps? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in terms of how it's different from other things that are more in the habit tracking space versus the, the to-do space, like a lot of stuff in the to-do space is sort of backlog based. And so the main difference there is that intent is not backlog based. Like if you don't do something today, it doesn't go on your list for tomorrow. That would not that would defeat the point of having the list be for today. Instead, it goes on list of things I thought I was going to do yesterday and didn't do. And then if you want, you can grab it for tomorrow, but you don't like that's a choice that you make. Like, so the intention has a kind of time boundedness and it doesn't sort of linger around. And that's part of what makes it actually an intention. Because the thing is, like, people don't realize this, but like, you have to think like, Ontology matters for this stuff. If you've got an app that lets people put in things with a checkbox next to them, like what are those things? Are, are, are they tasks? What's a task? Are they to-dos? What's a to-do? And in practice, people end up putting in a lot of different types of things that like where, where the different typeness actually matters a lot. So it's like you'll have in a given list a mix of here's an idea that I had that I sort of don't want to lose track of, I guess. Here's uh, an obligation, like something somebody's expecting of me where something, you know, bad will happen if I don't do it. Here's uh, something I sort of, there's different scales of obligation, right? Like there's sort of like, I loosely told somebody I'd do it. And then there's like, I've got to file my taxes. Like you, you really gotta, there's sort of no opting out. No, no saying, ah, actually I decided I didn't want to do this. Sorry about that. So there's different scales of obligations. Then there's something like components of a project where it's like, you know, when I was doing the rebrand from Compost to Intend, I've actually been meaning to write up a case study about this. It's like I had a giant tree of like, here's all the stuff I have to get to. And it was really helpful in the context of having this concrete project to be able to sort of look at the list and be like, okay, what's left? What do I want to tackle today? But, you know, that was the specific 
sub-project within my business of doing the rebrand. If I just look at a generic list that I have that of things that I might want to do towards, you know, making my business better, it's sort of not actually obvious that I'm going to find time to do all of them because there are so many and, you know, it would take years to actually implement all the features that I've imagined I could build. Um, and by then I'll have more ideas of features to build and, you know, things will have changed. Whereas for, you know, for a project that's only taking a month or two, it's like, it's actually reasonable to spec out. Here's all the things that I have to either do, or maybe, you know, in one or two cases, I decide, you know, I actually don't need to do that as part of this project. But there's a sense in which I do need to decide, like, oh, actually, I'm just not going to handle that. I'm going to do it some other way. So those are all different, like, types of things. There's probably a few more. I haven't fully spec'd out the different, the different types because, again... In intend, there's basically only one type, which is this is a thing I'm intending to do today. Like that's the only type of thing it lets you enter. So there's not sort of vague ideas of notions of things I might want to do someday. There's not, you know, obligations that somebody gave me that I are due in two weeks. It's it's all kind of pretty focused. Yeah, so I mean, that's the main way in which it's different from something like a to-do app. As for how it's different from a habit app, Habit apps are, are largely focused on kind of doing the same thing every day. It's like, I want to, you know, every day I want to brush my teeth. Every day I want to do yoga in the morning. Every day I want to, you know, text my mom, like whatever the thing is. And, or, or every day I want to, you know, make a sales call or something. You know, in, and in a lot of cases, like habits can be really powerful, but there are a lot of places that you can't get just by putting one foot in front of another. Like you can't just be like, take one step per day where it's sort of like the same type of step because there's a need to kind of orient to what is it that I'm, that I'm doing here? What, what, is, what, is, what do I actually need to do next? And it's not the same thing every day. You know, if you're running, you know, like I'm sure with your work in running the metagame community, it's like, maybe there's some stuff that you just got to take care of every day, but there's also a lot of stuff that's different, like literally every day. Would you say so? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's like being able to track what that stuff is, is really important. And a habit tracker app sort of doesn't give you that moment of kind of clarity, like, you know, you can put into your habit app a habit of, you know, consider what to do today, but like you still got to do that somewhere and you got to somehow track what are those things that you're going to do. So for open-ended projects like businesses, communities, even like learning projects, it's like, okay, today I want to practice this song on the guitar or something. Like you can just have a a habit of pick up the guitar for half an hour, but that's going to be pretty like loose and open-ended unless you somehow have, have a way to orient to like what you're actually doing. And I like to say that like intent can kind of be the, the meta place where you orient to your other goal tracking systems as well. Like suppose you have a fitness goal, like you might have a fitness app like strong lifts or run keeper or something where you're tracking your actual workouts. But if those apps stop working or if you get an injury and you need to do something other than running for a while, it's like, where do you go to orient to that question? And intend can kind of be that place. Right. That makes complete sense. I mean, even with uh, like learning to play a guitar, you don't necessarily want to set a, okay, half an hour of practice every day, but having more like concrete goals of like learning to play this song or like, yeah, learning to play different songs, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And one of the other powerful features of Intend is that it has a very different kind of weekly review than than GTD-based apps have. So GTD-based apps are all about wrangling this giant pile of stuff that you've dumped into them. 
And if you don't do that, then you end up with an even larger pile of stuff next week, which makes it even more aversive. And so the system can fail pretty, pretty quickly as a result of that. And the reviews in Intend, by contrast, are not about that kind of wrangling, but about like looking over what you did the past week or the past month and being like, okay, where, you know, where have I come? Like what, what wins do I have that I can build on here? You know, what things have I been ignoring? And like, are there reasons I've been ignoring them? Like, is there a better way to approach them? But you're, you're sort of already surveying what you've done. And that can be really satisfying and motivating to actually like look at the progress that you made in a week. It's like, well, I, I did a lot of different stuff. Like you get to the end of the week and kind of forget what you actually did earlier in the week. And so to see it again is pretty cool. And so I, I, I kind of think of it as a system of fractal reviews. It's like you've got a daily review, a weekly review, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. And in those different reviews, you can kind of see the other reviews. And so you can kind of integrate all these different temporal horizons together. I like that. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, mine is just like reviewing. Yeah, I guess it's not much of a review, but more so looking ahead of like, okay, what's next? And uh, yeah, I do have this like, in the same way, like I'm using Notion for both to-dos and habits. So I have like automatically recurring tasks and it just piles on. And like when I get to like the point where I have to scroll down to see the whole page, it just starts uh, adding up anxiety and I'm <laughs> not sure it's so helpful. Hmm. So the, the, I want to talk about, a bit about the, the importance of uh, setting goals or like setting uh, clear goals because people are often like, okay, I'm going to do this, but they don't like really properly work it out or follow through. I would, I would say there's a few elements to that. And, and we, we go over this in quite a lot of detail in the, the workshops that we run because it, well, that's another story. Anyway, point is we've got these workshops. There's some coming up in July. So if this podcast is out before then, we can put a link to, to the, the workshops in the, in the show notes. And the idea with, the, the way that I like to think about goals is that it's about getting clear on what you're doing and what you're not doing. And then the what you're not doing part is just as important as the what you're doing part. Like if you just try to tack a new goal onto your life, that can sometimes work. You know, you you suddenly get inspired to learn a new skill and you're like, oh, I'm going to learn this new skill. And maybe it just happens. But in general, part of, you know, necessarily choosing what to do is choosing what not to do. Because no matter how many or how few goals you set, everybody's got 168 hours in a week and has got to spend some of those hours sleeping. And in our, in the goal setting process we use in the workshop, we first focus on a kind of really broad approach, um, inviting people to make a dream list of like, you know, anywhere from like 30 to over a hundred ideas of like things they think they might want to do or be or have or experience. And then having listed all of those out, which might even include some things that are like not even physically possible. Like I, you know, I, when I first did this, I wrote down like invent a teleporter because that was the thing that I wanted to do when I was a kid. And the point is just to kind of express all of those and see them all in the same space. And then having done that, you can sort of go, okay, so given that I could do any of these things, I mean, maybe not the teleporter, but I, you know, I could focus on any of these things, but given that I also can't do all of these things, it's like, what do I actually want to focus on? And I really found that the process of choosing some things and letting go of others are so intrinsically linked. I tweeted about this the other day, which is like, and you know, have you considered that maybe the reason why a bunch of thoughts are coming up and interrupting your meditation session 
is because you didn't get buy-in from those thoughts to sit quietly and meditate, and they've got stuff that they're trying to take care of, which is overdue, and so naturally they're trying to take advantage of these, like, spare moments of attention to, you know, figure out how to get themselves done. And it's the same with any activity. If you're finding yourself not focused, it's probably a sign that part of you actually thinks you're supposed to be doing something else right now. And that could be something as simple as eating, or it could be something like, I'm actually conflicted about whether or not I want to grow my business at all, or I'm conflicted about whether this project is a good idea or whatever the other thing is. There's some sort of inner conflict. And so there's a process on any scale, whether that's, you know, setting a big goal for the next few years or literally just like, what am I doing in this moment? Like, you know, I, I thought I was going to write a blog post. I'm on Twitter. What's going on? And it's like, you know, where is this energy that wants to go on Twitter from? Can I invite the energy that sort of is drawing me into Twitter? Can I invite that energy to let go? And part of what makes that an invitation is that like, there's also an option that the energy says, no, I don't want to let go. And then it's like, okay, well, now what do we do? <laughs> and I have a lot of thoughts on this, but it's, it's, it's a very complex thing. And I've been thinking of making some like actually guided meditations basically um, around this. I think I have one out there that's about like a sort of intention meditation where you, you start with just resting for a moment and then you're kind of like, okay, what do I want to do from all the things that I could do? And then you consider one option and, and then you sort of, you gently kind of ask the rest of yourself, like, may I do this? Like, may I be totally free to do this? May all of my other intentions let go? And you kind of invite them to let go. And if some, if some other part has a really strong bid that's like, no, actually, you can't just write this blog post right now. You've really got to reply to that text that you haven't been replying to for three days. And that's going to eat at you if you try to focus on anything else. It's like, okay, well, you know, uh, let me go try to reply to that text. But people get tangled all up because then when they go to the reply to the text, they feel shame and they feel like, ah, I don't want to reply to the text. And all of that is bogging down their ability to do literally anything. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of uh, conflicting uh, wants and needs coming from inside and people are like, people aren't taught or they just don't know how to integrate all of this into like a coherent way forward in their lives. So yeah, you want to you wanna talk a bit about the upcoming uh, goal crafting intensive, which should help people do this? Yeah, yeah. So we've actually been thinking about like maybe even renaming the intensive because it starts with goals, but it really goes beyond them into a whole space of like, what does it even mean to be a person who cares about stuff and is trying to do stuff? Like really getting at some of the like basic ontological questions there. And yeah, the, the basic structure of the workshop. So like one thing I'll just say is that like part of why I love it is that it is an online workshop. Uh, it is not a course. It's not cohort-based. It's not self-paced. I like to think of it as self-based because it's just one five-hour block. And so there's no like, you know, oh, I got to show up every week. Or, and there's no like, oh, I've got to somehow find time, but I could do it anytime. So I should be doing it all the time. But obviously I don't do it anytime because anytime never comes or whatever. Uh, so I really like that. I have a lot of trouble with online courses, but an online workshop um, can work really, really well. And what we do is we, you know, we get everybody together and we kind of give them some orientation. And then there's um, within the five hours of the workshop, there's four hours of Pomodoros, which is to say 25 minute focused work periods. And during those people can do 
well, pretty much anything they want, to be honest. But the, the basic structure, the kind of classic version of this is you go through the course content, like the we have some modules and frameworks and stuff like that. And you kind of watch videos and then do exercises that help you set your goals and then clarify what those goals are. So it's like, you know, making the goal really specific so that it's really clear. Like some people think you need a numerical metric for this. Um, that can help if you're in an organization where you kind of need to be on the same page about exactly what the things mean. But for a personal goal, you don't need a numerical metric. If it is going to be a goal and not just kind of an ongoing life trajectory, I mean, life like, or like trajectories are fine. Following your nose is fine. Like having an intention to just follow your nose around a particular topic is great. And, and likewise, you know, trying to have a system of habits that sort of keeps you healthy, but you don't have any particular place you're trying to get to also great. But if you're going to have a goal, then there's kind of like a recognizable state in the future that you're aiming for. And you want to get really, really clear on what will the world look like when I've achieved this? Like, I'm going to be looking around my life and what am I going to see? What am I going to experience? What am I going to hear? What am I going to smell or taste? I mean, how am I going to feel? And just getting really clear on what it will look like to have the thing be complete. And then you can kind of just use that felt sense that you have and contrast it with, well, where am I right now? Oh, yeah, you know, I want to look at my bank balance and have it say, you know, that I'm not in debt. Like, I want to have no negative numbers when I pull up my bank account. So, okay, that's that's what achieving this goal will look like, right? And then you can, you can just pull up your bank account balance and look at it and be like, hmm, I, there's currently a large negative number here. And so like, obviously you're going to have to find some strategies for doing that, but you know, maybe the first strategy you try doesn't work and that's fine. You can continue to just look at the numbers and be like, yes, they need to be different. Now, what am I going to try? And sort of continually strategically reorienting to trying stuff. Again, that's a very concrete, you know, numerical metric, but it could also be something like, you know, I feel like I have abundant friendships is like, a thing. And then you could get more specific. Okay. Are these in-person friends or, or do online friends count? Or maybe I, you know, I want a mix of both or whatever. What does it mean to have a, you know, to have a friend, you know, and you might get sort of specific, like, okay, a friend is someone who I can ask to hang out with without any reason to hang out with them. That's a definition I've sometimes liked for friendship. You know, it's like there's people that you kind of know and you can be like, hey, let's have a call sometime. I've been thinking about this topic. We should talk about it together. And then there's a friend where you can just be like, yo, let's catch up. <laughs> and and what I'm getting at here is like, you know, it's not about the definition of friend, but it's about getting clear on what your definition is of friend if that's the thing that you're trying to make make a goal out of or whatever. Like getting really clear on what that means to you so that you can aim towards it. So yeah, so we walk people through that. So I, I've kind of talked about there's goal selection, which is this process of choosing, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. So module one is goal setting, which includes like ideation of goals and then goal selection. And then you have module two, which is planning, which is first of all, clarifying what exactly the goal is, and then kind of moving from there into like, what are some of those paths or strategies by which I might achieve that goal. And then we talk a bit about execution, like how do you set up systems to kind of make consistent progress. And then finally, there's uh, the reflection module, which is about setting up systems to kind of notice what it is that you are getting stuck on or noticing things that you're ignoring. Or throughout the workshop, we I use a metaphor of climbing a mountain. And 
I really like physical metaphors for thinking about goals because people often get very confused. They see goals as a very abstract thing, but it's like, there is a sense in which if you are walking to the store, then arriving at the store is a goal that you have. Like it is very concretely, there is a recognizable desired state in the future that you are acting in order to achieve. And that desired state of the future is you are at the store. And people are very good at handling goals like that most of the time in a way that they they sort of fail to translate those goals into much more abstract goals. And that's partially because they, they feel unclear about how to achieve them, whereas walking to the store, like you usually know how to figure it out. And so within this metaphor of kind of climbing a mountain or, or, or going somewhere, even just more abstractly than climbing a mountain, it's like you may not know exactly what it'll look like when you arrive because you've never been to the top of this mountain, but you know it'll be the top of the mountain because there won't be any further up to go. Or you may not know exactly what restaurant you're going to get food at, but you know what it'll feel like to be fed when you, you know, if you're going out to find, find food in a city or something. And so, so that's the recognizable desired state in the future, which is the goal. And then the planning process is kind of orienting to, okay, what path am I intending to take there? You know, could I, I could try this path. I could try that path. Execution is walking the path. Like it's just actually taking the steps that move you closer. And then reflection is like noticing either if you've gone off the path that you intended to be on or noticing if the path that you're on doesn't seem to actually be taking you where you want and then kind of reorienting and, and coming up with a, a new path. Or another thing that happens is sometimes when you walk the path a bit, you realize you actually didn't want the thing that you wanted or it's not actually possible or whatever. You know, you you get partway to the, the store and then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, isn't this store closed on Sundays? And you check and it's like, yeah, the store is closed on Sundays. And then at that point you have to decide, okay, am I going to a different store or am I just going home? That's actually not a good example because I'm trying to point at something more about like, there are times when the only way to find out that you don't actually want a particular goal is to head partway down that path. You know, maybe you're like, oh, I want to date this person. And so, you know, you date them and a few months into that, you actually realize, wait, this isn't a good fit at all actually. And, but it's like, you couldn't have known that without intending to make it work and finding out what happens when you try. So I see all of this as very fluid. You know, goals are a tool to organize your attention towards things that you care about. But if you get fixated on the goal and as a, like an objective thing and lose touch with what you actually care about, then you kind of lost the plot. You lost the point. So yeah, so we try to guide people into the, kind of that way of thinking in our workshops. And, and we do a pretty good job of that, both for people who are new to the realm of goal setting and for people who've like done a lot of, you know, personal development, life hacking type stuff before. And part of how we do that is we have, in addition to this course content, which has a bunch of exercises, we also have live coaching. So if people do get stuck or if they want an extra challenge, like we can work one-on-one, one, not actually one-on-one, -on -one, we can work, you know, five to 10 on one because each person has their own channel with all of the coaches that we have at the workshop in that channel. So they can ask questions and get a bunch of different perspectives chiming in, which is a very powerful format that honestly, I would love to see more workshops with that format. I love it. Yeah. So like you thought through every detail, like it's obvious you've been working on this for 10 years. Yeah. I, I have a very thorough approach with my attention when I'm applying it to something. There are some people who are who are thorough in a, in a manner of like researching things thoroughly. And that has never been my, my style, but I'm voraciously curious in general. And so then once I've been like exploring something long enough, I'm pretty good at sort of distilling what I have learned into a system that makes sense and kind of 
is whole and complete and isn't hasn't like overlooked a major detail i would say it's a great skill and then uh, yeah zooming out a bit and uh, yeah thinking about the meta protocol and there was that post that you wrote called collaborative self-energizing meta team vision and yeah you want to get into that stuff so like goals on in multiplayer mode <laughs> right goals in multiplayer mode so i mean the thing i just said is actually a pretty good segue i think because part of what i was just talking about was about my own strengths and weaknesses and you know if i know that i'm not very motivated to sort of like do research on stuff as like a deliberate methodical thing but i have friends who are it's like i can kind of piggyback on their research and i can focus on what i'm better at which is maybe synthesis or something like that and so when i think of self-energizing motivation there's something where people often think they have to get themselves to do things this is from my perspective completely backwards the moment you think you might want to get yourself to do something you already have motivation to do it otherwise you wouldn't be interested in the project of trying to get yourself to do it right so Instead, the thing to focus on from my perspective, and this is sort of what I was saying earlier, is like, how do I allow myself to do it? Because if I have motivation to do it and I'm not doing it, then there must be some other part that has motivation to not do it or to do something else or to, to rest or whatever it is. And so the question to ask is like, what part of me is blocking this and how can I, how can it release my energy to do this? But there are some things that the mere act of becoming aware of them as possibilities generates immediate motivation that does not need to, you know, there's no allowing required and there's, there's no sense of like, oh, this was a bit tiring, now I need to kind of re recover, recoup. When I think of motivation, I sometimes, I sometimes like the example of, you know, if you, uh, you know, suppose it's, a, it's a, a lonely summer night or whatever, and you get a text from someone you have a crush on that's like, hey, want to come over? It's like, you don't need to put that on your to-do list. You're very motivated to just do it, right? Like it's, it's immediate. The motivation is there. It's visceral. You know, it would actually take energy to not do it. Now, obviously in a caloric sense, it takes more energy to, you know, run over to somebody's house than it does to just sit on your couch. But caloric energy is sort of not the limiting factor for people. The, the limiting factor is like something like clarity and like unity of will or whatever. And so when an opportunity really arises to do something that you love doing and all of the frictions are, are removed, it's like the motivation takes care of itself. And so part of the vision with the self-energizing meta team is as people get clearer and clearer on what they really love to do, they can find their way into collaborations where, you know, both people are having this motivation where it would actually, it's actually easier to do the thing than not to do it once the opportunity has arisen. And, and, and this is how a good company works in some sense, actually. Like people are motivated by wanting to do good work and motivated by wanting mastery and motivating, motivated by wanting an experience of satisfying like collective flow and teamwork and so on. And so in a good company, you've got everybody taking care of work that they are particularly well suited to doing and that they feel particularly energized and motivated to do. And then they're unblocking each other. And so um, part of the thinking with this, the self-energizing meta team is like, can we have experiences of doing that for each other without having so many sort of levels of formal organization around it like a company? Because 
it might be the case that actually the skills that I really love deploying, an, a typical team might need like five hours of that skill, like once a month. And so it's like, if I try to get a full-time job anywhere, there is no full-time job where I can be deploying that skill all the time because a given team just doesn't need it that often. And for me, an example of this might be like, I can sometimes have really deep insights into how things are designed and how they could be better designed in terms of interfaces and so on. But it's like, you know, once you've had those insights about a given thing, there's, there's a bunch of work to do to actually sort of implement that into the solution. And so if I tried to be on just one team doing that, it wouldn't work very well. But if I can be contributing that wisdom and expertise to many teams in parallel, then I get to do more of what I feel really jazzed about. And, and that then inspires me to want to do more of it because there's less of a slog. Yeah, so that's that's kind of my vision with the self-energizing meta team. I'm curious how that dovetails with the you know the stuff you've been playing with around metagame and so on, because I'm guessing there's overlap there. Yeah, so one thing that I've been thinking about recently and what you kind of touched upon here is that like people need to have clearly set goals and uh, other people need to know what these goals are. And that's like how you get people actually motivated and energized because like you invite them to work on things that they want to work on and they're like already motivated because like you don't have to incentivize them with money or whatever, like some extrinsic rewards because like, yeah, they're interested in these things, like in getting uh, more mastery in this or whatever. Right, right. The money becomes not an incentive, but an enabling factor. It's like, I already want to do this. It's just, I can't do it if I need to work another job. So if you can give me money so that I don't have to do another job, then I would love to do this, right? And that's a very different kind of incentivizing. It's like, I just want to do it already. You're just unblocking me rather than the, the idea that you are trying to get me to do something that I sort of otherwise, eh, I wouldn't really want to. Right. Yeah, like the people most often think about, uh, yeah, adding some incentives, like adding more money. So they're earning money, but we're going to have bonuses for this sort of stuff. And that's like how I used to think about it as well. But it doesn't seem to necessarily be the case that uh, more money gets people more motivated at all. Totally. And, and, you know, performance-based bonuses, like paying people more on the basis of better performance, can actually sap motivation, depending on what the thing is, because it messes with intrinsic motivation and it, it can make people anxious about how they're performing, rather than makes it harder to get into flow states with it. So there's a lot of tricky stuff there. And I, I think, like, as a society, more and more people are waking up to the, the realization that not only punishments, but also rewards are actually a not not a very good way to organize things because they they inevitably lead to good hearting, right? Like if you're doing something for a reward, then the actual incentive is not to do the thing. The actual incentive is to look like you're doing the thing, which is a, a different <laughs> thing, right? And and less satisfying. And you know, Robert Keegan has written about this in his book, An Everyone Culture, about um, deliberately developmental organizations. There's a great excerpt, like from the very start of it. I can the, the excerpt is actually published online, link, and I can send it to you. But it's it's basically saying like in every organization, everybody is doing a second job that they are not getting paid for, which is hiding, <laughs> <laughs> and. That shows up in part because of, I mean, it's not just the financial incentives, it's also the social incentives of like what happens if you actually speak your mind and, and so on. But yeah, there's something about flipping 
the way that we're doing things so that the, you know, the self-energizing motivation comes first. And, and then I think like, there's another thing where it's like, look, I'm totally motivated by money. I've, I've totally been able to recognize that. It's like, I'm, I'm very excited, you know, selling tickets to these workshops and seeing like, oh yeah, like, yeah, more people are signing up. I'm going to have more money. Like, the, you know, there's something satisfying about that, but it's, uh, part of why that is, is that the, you know, the more money I have, the more freedom I have to do what I want. And it's like, I feel that connection really clearly. So it's like, likewise, I think that like, you know, in my work running my business, there are totally things that arise that someone has to do in that business that if I had the ability to just delegate 10 hours of stuff a week with zero effort, which I mean, people often or underestimate the cost of delegation. We can get into that in a moment. But like, if I just had the ability to just have someone else take care of it with no extra work on my part, there are some things that show up that I would love to do that with, but currently I just kind of suck it up and do it. But part of why I'm motivated to do it is because I love the overall arrangement of having my own business and being able to do all of this other stuff that I really love doing. And so it's, it is clearly worth it to me to take care of these things that I don't necessarily find intrinsically enjoyable so much because I know that they're what allow me to do the stuff I do find really enjoyable. And so it's like, similarly, people will also do things for money because the money allows them to do other things that they want to do. And so it's like, that's like not as directly coupled, but it is still relatively, there's, there's a way in which it's still coupled to the self-energizingness. It's just sort of indirect. Great. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Like it's the thing itself is not very enjoyable, but it brings you closer to what is enjoyable or like what you, what your goal is. Yeah. And that can be sort of directly via money or it can be via like, you know, in order to play a gig as a musician, it's like, I got to send out some messages to people who are hosting gigs. Right. And it's like, do I like sending out messages to people? No, I want to just be on stage playing gigs. But if I, if I want to be playing gigs at, you know, at my current level of not having a stage manager or whatever, it's like, I got to do the, you know, uh, the marketing, the reach out that like that kind of stuff. And so I guess the part of the other thing here, which I mentioned around, around delegation is basically like part of what I think will be required to make an actual meta team work by which I mean a bunch of sort of fluidly flowing people who are working on different projects and like very fluidly collaborating with each other. Part of what seems to me necessary to making that work is that people need to be remarkably good at both delegating and receiving delegated things and managing each other's attention smoothly, like giving enough detail, but not too much detail so that the other person has the autonomy to do it how they feel and hand it back to the person who kind of assigned it and have it have it be like, yes, this is what I wanted and not like, oh man, you just wasted a bunch of time because this is not what I wanted. Or sort of the person delegating, wasting a bunch of time up front, specifying a bunch of things that either could have gone without saying, or the fact that they all need to be said is a sign they're actually not working with the right person. And so like being able to fluidly figure all that out feels like one of the kind of meta skills needed to navigate all of this that's a great point i've actually had the issue with this myself like first like with giving not clear enough instructions and then the person they're not understanding what they're supposed to do or like doing something completely wrong yeah or like uh, in other cases like giving yeah, as you said like too much information and then people say well like look this dude is just like micromanaging this person <laughs> it's a thin line 
it's 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 a thin it's a thin line, but it's also it's a fuzzy line because there is no like here's the right answer. There is just always a contextual puzzle and you know, once you've worked with somebody on one type of project a dozen times, you don't need to give them as much instruction because you already know that. And so it's like, it's a constantly evolving process too. Yeah, it also depends, yeah, like person to person, like one person might need a lot more context, even if they're completely involved, another person might need less context, even though like it's the first time you're collaborating with them. Right, yeah, totally. It's definitely tricky. Uh, what other things would you say are important for like having these sort of... Uh, functional uh, self-energizing teams you know in order to be free to do something you need to be free to not do it and people don't really realize the extent to which you can experience that freedom even in a situation that is very constrained like oh i have to do this because my boss assigned it it's like well what if you didn't do it well then maybe i'd get fired well what if you got fired well then i wouldn't have a job it's like well what if you didn't have a job and it's like well then i'd be on the street and it's like well what if you were on the street it's like the, you can you can just actually hold these possibilities as real possibilities and if if that's the actual alternative then like now it's not the case that i have to do this it's actually the case that i want to do this if my options are do this assignment or be homeless you know like do like do this project or be homeless and but but those are actually both real options as opposed to sort of i have to do this so that i'm not homeless it's like, if I'm like, okay, do I want to do this assignment and have a job and have money and, you know, have a home and whatever, or do I want to be homeless? It's like, hmm, let's see. Well, that's a pretty easy choice, actually. Right. Right? Like, but it becomes an actual choice when you can, when you can consider the alternative rather than seeing the alternative as just like unthinkably bad. Right. And it might not even be bad. It might be just, okay, so if I lose a job, maybe I'll find this better job that I'm also interested in. Right, right. That's that's the thing. It usually doesn't even go so extremely bad, right? Like it's like, you know, I, I you know, I tell my boss I don't want to do this assignment and the boss goes, oh, cool, we'll give it to Bob. What do you want to work on? Right. Like maybe it's literally that like it's not you don't even lose the job. Right. Like, yeah, I guess it all comes down to like asking the right questions and <laughs> working through that rather than just like trying to push ahead without uh, thinking too deeply. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a thing about there's a there's a thing here where it's like the have to mindset is various is from my perspective, very connected with autopilot. It's like there's a sort of unquestionedness of I just have to do this. And if you're on such an autopilot, there can often be resistance from all of the parts of you that know that actually you don't have to or it is a bad idea or there's some sort of issue with it. So so being able to experience that freedom for yourself is sort of the basis of having, you know, any kind of sanity and being able to actually kind of steer or yeah as i said to kind of make conscious choices or i don't know i feel like i've just basically already said the thing it's like you need to be free to say no to something in order to be free to say yes to it right makes sense uh yeah so anything else uh, you think is important to to think about or care about in terms of uh yeah having functional self-energizing teams I mean, there's a fun invitation that might be cool for your for your metagame crew, which is basically like, think of a thing that you would kind of love to do, but part of why you're not doing it is that there's some element of the project that you really don't want to do, and then try to name both of those really clearly. Okay, I really want to make this project, but I don't want to do any of the graphic design for it. It's like Maybe somebody else would love to do the graphic design. And how can you find somebody else who would love to do the part of the project that you would not love to do? 
that's how we kind of find those win-wins in the self-energizing space is by recognizing, oh, I'd love to do this and I would not love to handle this part and then trying to find somebody else who would love to handle that part. So you're not trying to pawn it off on, you know, you're not trying to get somebody else to do your dirty work. You're trying to get someone else who, if they heard about this opportunity, they'd be like, oh, I would love to do that. And I would not love to do the stuff you want to do. Like, and so that's where the win-win comes from. So that could be a fun experiment for people to do if you're sharing this into your, into your group or whatever. Or, um, you know, if you're not part of part of Path's community and you're just listening to this podcast, but you're in some other group of, of people, whether it's a DM group or whatever else, you know, try to think of a little project that you might love to do where somebody else could handle some other aspect of it and see if there's anybody in your community or anybody in your Twitter space who would like to kind of take on that other role. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, even if you think it's uh, like the, absolutely the worst job that you can have, like chances are that somebody else would like it. Like for me, it's fundraising. Like I fucking hate fundraising, like uh, or pitching sales, anything related to that. Just like not my kind of role. And then for some reason, I also thought that like, okay, so probably everybody hates that. But then I also met people who are like, oh yeah, I love doing sales. Like I just get out there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you'll find someone who's like, well, I don't, I don't love doing that, but I'm really excited about the idea of learning how to do it. So it's like, if you're in a situation where there's enough sort of slack that someone can take on a role that they're actually pretty new to and kind of learn on the job. Now that's not, that's obviously not true of every situation, but if you are in a situation like that, then that can be another, another opportunity. Whereas it's like, if you're like, I don't really care about developing that skill, then it's going to be a lot harder for you to get motivated into doing it. And part of why you don't care about developing the skill is you don't want to do it, right? Like you don't want to be in that role. So why would you want to get better at that role? Yeah. So I feel like that's a, that's a pretty good little invitation to leave off on is to, you know, try to think of a little project and see if there's somebody else who might be down to do, um, the other half of it. And, uh, I had a lot of fun even just writing up tiny job descriptions at one point of, of like roles that people could play adjacent to me that wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be hiring them full time, but it'd just be like some other half of some project I want to do just writing up little job descriptions for those. The, do you have any, any closing thoughts? I guess this was kind of it, but just in case you have anything else. Yeah, no, I, I feel like, feel like that's a pretty good note to end on. So, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, it finally happened and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great. And yeah, before you go, so when is the workshop? We will definitely get this out sooner and uh, promote the workshop. Great. Sounds good. Yeah. And if, if, if people want to find me online, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at Malcolm underscore Ocean. Um, you will need to know that Malcolm has a silent L in it before the final M, if you want to try to type that out just from what I'm saying, but we'll have lots of links in the show notes to stuff like that. We'll link to my pieces of writing about the meta protocol and about the um, self-energizing meta team. And we'll also link to stuff about the intend app and the workshop and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And uh, so the workshop, do people need to apply for the workshop or they can just show up? Um, you need to get a ticket. The, the, the workshop is pay what you want in terms of the pricing. Um, but we do have people buy a ticket to reserve a seat um, so that we know that people are serious about it. And um, yeah, and then and then there's a bit of like advanced preparation stuff that you can do before the thing, but you do not have to do that. You can totally show up without having done it and you can still have an awesome time. It just helps for, because the uh, the dreaming part benefits from taking a couple days and kind of sleeping on it a bit, which you can't do in the middle of the workshop. Right. Makes sense. And what's the date? 
Oh, it's uh, there's two sessions of the workshop, and they are on July 15th and 16th. And they're at different times of day, so depending on which, uh, like if you're in North America or South America or whatever, you, like, you could probably go to either of them. Europeans are going to want the one that's on July 16th. And if you're in Australia, you are going to want the one that for me is on July 15th, but for you will also be on July 16th. All right, perfect. So yeah, we'll include all the links in the show notes. Uh, thank you all for listening and go to the workshop. Sounds like, sounds awesome. And I will probably go myself. Great. Yeah, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you again for coming on. And see you around.